0: Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors just like you about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd.
1: Hello and welcome to the Flexible Advisor podcast. It's Laura Gregg and I'm here, of course, with my co-host, David Partain. Hello, David. Hello, Laura. David, I am really excited about this episode, and I know I'm going to learn a lot. In fact, we just learned a little bit in the, uh, the waiting room before starting to record today. And we'll be talking about generative artificial intelligence and the impact it has on the wealth management space or may have on the wealth management space.
2: Well, Laura, you know as well as anybody, uh, except for maybe my wife, that I am fascinated by technology and I'm always seeking to understand how we can use it and to not only make us more productive here at work or at home, but actually how it will improve our lives. And AI is an area that I think we all need to understand better.
1: I'm so excited to have John Prendergast on the show today. John is the founder and president of Blue Leaf. Uh, Blue Leaf is an all-in-one wealth management software platform with reporting, billing, rebalancing, and a unique capability to engage clients and advisors to help them drive growth. And John is also the host of the Augmented Advisor podcast on which I have been honored to be a guest in the past. John, you run a fintech company. So clearly, technology is a passion of yours. And I know about your keen interest in generative AI and its impact on our industry. And, you know, I'm so excited because I think we're all going to come away from this. A bit smarter than we started. So thank you for joining us to talk about this really important topic that is changing by the hour.
3: Well, I am thrilled to be here, Laura, and uh, David, wonderful to meet you. And it is a passion topic for me uh, as a a former and current geek. Um, I am right there with you, David. I love technology. Uh, It's one of the reasons I do what I do. And uh, hopefully, it'll be educational. I mean, Lori, you set the bar way up there. Uh, but we will do what we, we can do to help the audience of financial advisors really get their head wrapped around why they should care about this and you know why it's important. Because this is the kind of technology that has a global impact. I mean, it is completely global. Any knowledge worker, anybody that touches any technology... Artificial intelligence is having an impact, uh, and it's an impact on our clients, on our society, on the world we live in, and we know that clients need us to help them navigate that world, so we really need to understand those changes. And it's going to change a lot about the way that we accomplish the work that we do uh, for ourselves and our practice and in the and for our clients. So I'm thrilled to be here, love to talk geek, and uh, let's mm-hmm. rock and roll.
2: All right, let's geek out. Well, Laura knows, and as I mentioned, I love technology, but um, I also love research and we both love research. And so that's why understanding how this all works together, I am just, I'm, I'm tingling with excitement. So as we talk about the evolution of AI with you today and learn a little bit more about you and how you think it will impact our world, I wanna back up a little bit. And before we get into that, I'd, Appreciate it if you would could tell us about your firm, Blue Leaf, and why and when you founded the firm and how you're helping advisors simplify their businesses.
3: Sure, happy to do it. Um and Laura did a great intro. We're we're an all-in-one wealth management platform um that's really delivers all of those expected functions, but our focus is on making everything that we do engaging for all of our users and in particular for clients, and we can engage up to 90% of an advisor's client base every single month on their behalf uh, and create a really dynamic, engaging experience. And that's what we do. We were founded in the wake of the 2008 financial crash. And that was a tough time. I'm, you know, I'm sure you all remember. Yeah. Uh, lots of us got panicked calls from friends and relatives. You know What's going on? Um, No one could put their arms around where all their money was, and it was all spread out. And of course, the information was all spread out. And that was true times 100x for every financial advisor. And everyone needed a way to bring it all together. And we founded Blueleaf as a way to coordinate and automate all of that information and data to help automate an advisor's practice and help them engage and inform clients. And, you know, today we automate all of those functions Laura mentioned, reporting and billing and rebalancing, but it really still is all built around this idea of informing and engaging and help advisors do that with their clients. And that that's really what gets us up in the morning.
2: Well, I'm about to mention a sore subject for Laura and I, but we were (laughs) apparently in New York together at an awards ceremony for the Wealth Management Industry Awards, commonly referred to as the Wealthies. And while Laura and I did not win, even though I was wearing a tux, um, (laughs) I wanted to ask you. Congra- first, say congratulations on that achievement. And thank you. Wow, we didn't win. I want to let you brag about yourself and tell us a little bit about the award.
3: The thing I brag most about is I still fit into my tuxedo. Uh, so <laughs> that was <laughs> and
1: fantastic. You looked fabulous that night, by the way.
3: <laughs> uh, it was the first time in maybe a decade where I wore a tuxedo. It's it's uh, it's not a thing I do often. Yeah. So that was that was certainly fun. Um, and we won the. Uh, 2023 wealthmanagement.com award for outstanding achievement in account aggregation. So for those of you, most of you know in the audience, account aggregation is the technology that brings together uh, account data into a single centralized place so you can report on it, you know, examine it, etc. cetera. And in particular, retail account aggregation where you bring in outside assets, it might be a bank account, a brokerage account, it might be a 401k, and you pull all that together. And most of you know that your experience with aggregation to this point has been, well, in a word, terrible. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And we've been wrestling with aggregation technology for the last decade plus. And we realized a few things. Uh, One, no single aggregator could deliver adequately. What just wasn't possible. Uh, And that's In terms of coverage, they don't all connect to the same institutions or all institutions. Stability, they don't stay connected and sometimes can be broken for months. And support, there isn't any. Advisors are pretty much on their own and really don't have the expertise to do that. So we built a system that addressed all of those issues based on two key concepts. One, deliver multiple aggregators. And aggregators are folks like Plaid and Yodely. Uh, both of whom we we pull together, and directly support end users, that is the clients of the advisor, so that the advisor doesn't have to, their firm doesn't have to, and their enterprise doesn't have to. Blueleaf does that. And multiple aggregators means that we connect to more institutions, we get a choice of better quality data, and an ability to switch or recover from problems sooner than if we had to depend on a single aggregator. And the direct support of end clients means their their questions, their issues get resolved faster by our experts without the advisor or their firm having to lift a finger. So that's why we got what we got. That's a completely new concept. And that is built into Blueleaf Proper as part of our all-in-one service, but it is also available for enterprises to incorporate into their technologies.
1: Wow, John, that is so exciting. Uh, And I know that, um, you know, it's been a need for a long time. And so, you know, I'm thinking now, like, what are we going to talk about on our next podcast? And clearly, it's going to be aggregation, right? (laughs) But today, you know, we're going to talk about AI. And I've, you know, you and I have been talking for a while, about having you join us on the Flexible Advisor, and so I was absolutely thrilled when you suggested today's topic because it's one that we have not covered so far on the podcast. And you know, quite frankly, I I don't understand much, if anything, about AI and let alone generative AI. When you brought that up, I immediately went to Google and looked it up and tried to learn a little bit. Um, but I don't think I'm alone in that. Um, so. Why don't we start from ground zero? Let's start with the basics, and you know how have most of us already been interfacing with artificial intelligence, and maybe not even realizing it. And then talk to us about where we might currently be bumping into the advanced generative form of AI, and what those differences are, and you know what came before and where we are now and what might that mean for the future.
3: Sure, happy to do this. So what I'm going to try and do is summarize a 30-minute webinar in less than five minutes. And I I promise I'm not going to try and do that by speaking merely quickly. I'm just gonna try and pull out the salient points, but there's there's a lot to cover. So you know, first off, what is AI? And you know, most people, when you think of artificial intelligence, uh, if you're a movie person, you you may think of a word, cyberdyne systems. You may think of the Terminator movies, or you may think of C three PO and and the like. But you know, artificial intelligence is really just the science and engineering of making intelligent machines, and that's a little bit vague. And it goes to the question of what is intelligence. And there's another movie reference here: the Imitation Game. Uh, some of you may have seen. It's about a Guy by the name of Alan Turing who came up with a test and was really one of the early pioneers in artificial intelligence, and it was really called the Turing test, and that was to determine can a human distinguish if they're speaking to a machine or human, and that was um, that was the original test of what was artificial intelligence. That's getting a lot harder these days, and so even that definition is changing, but. Artificial intelligence is really simply the idea of a machine learning. And it learns on its own, fed by data and information, uh, et cetera. But there's no human programming rules. They form on their own in the machine. And most AI up to now, we've all been interacting with AI. If you've been online, you've been interacting with AI. But it is not this new fangled generative AI, Uh, mostly what we've been experiencing out in the world is something called a classifier. And a classifier is exactly what it sounds like. It's used to analyze, classify, optimize, and recommend. Think when you're on Amazon, the recommended products. Um, Mm -hmm. Think about the algorithms that determine uh, which ad to serve you. These things are, by and large, machine learning or artificial intelligence. And that was focused on finding a pattern in the data and offering an insight on that pattern that or a recommendation. And that recommendation, like all AI, and we'll talk about this more, is probabilistic. It says, okay, 98% that this is what you're looking for, here you go. What changed is this new type of artificial intelligence, generative AI. And it's quite different than a classifier. It is a type of artificial intelligence that can autonomously generate or create new content. And it's much better at understanding patterns and relationships and data, and then can produce or synthesize uh, new information from that data. So it literally creates, not exactly out of thin air, Um, because it needs some basic building blocks, but it can create. So anything that's data, it can create. If you give it a training set and you give it some instructions, it'll go try and make something happen. And that is really quite unique. And that happened, mm, it, it first started happening actually in 2017. Nobody knew about it. But the first time that most folks got exposed to it was somewhere early spring, uh, and that is when a company called OpenAI uh, was introducing more broadly a model called GPT 3.5, and that's when a bunch of folks in the press and the media got hold of it and did a whole bunch of interesting things, and people's heads exploded, and now there's been an explosion of uses of, of that generative AI.
1: So thank you for that, and I am familiar with you know the terms I've been hearing is Chat GPT and Open AI, and David, if I remember, we we don't anymore, but we were playing around very briefly with one of those tools on our team to help us in our writing pursuit. Am I getting yeah, that right, correct. David?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Because there's there's a ton of them out there,
1: right? Absolutely, so, ton. So. And I've used it actually more recently in some personal writing uh, that I've done. And it's a really cool tool because it helps get me through writer's block and it suggests different ways of framing things. I haven't found that I, I they delivered any content I would just pick up and use because I'm very particular, but it truly is helpful. So, would you tell us about, you know, beyond just writing, what are some of the other common uses uh, of these and similar forums that, that are really kind of blowing out right now? And, and where do you see some, you know, uh, help immediately for financial
3: advisors? Sure. And as you implied, there's a lot going on here. Um, so, again, creation, right? Creation of digital things. So creating text. Now that's writing by and large, but bear in mind that code, computer code is also text. And so we're seeing an explosion of the application of generative AI in helping or assisting to create computer code. And (laughs) there's, there's even uh, times now where, where an AI bot will build another AI bot and so on. And that, yeah. that can get really away from you and is pretty interesting. There are some really interesting podcasts about this um, from the New York Times. There's a variety of them on AI and and certainly worth checking out and can talk about some of the more esoteric things. But for, for advisors, I mean, creating text is a super powerful use of AI and yes, it's generating text, but you can uh, also summarize. So you If you want the summary to War and Peace, it can give you a beautiful summary of War and Peace and so on. Um, It it can summarize a thing like a PDF. Hey, I've got this long PDF and I don't want to read the whole thing with certain tools. You can give it the PDF. It'll read it and you just ask it for a summary and it will summarize and spit that back to you. Images. You can create images as well from scratch. Some somewhat uh, interesting looking images oftentimes, uh, but often photorealistic. And the other thing that it can do here, now we talked about creating, correcting is creating. So imagine things like uh, spell check gets better and grammar check gets better uh, or finding issues in images. So now instead of creating the image, it says, oh, you've got this old image that is say at a low resolution but you need a higher resolution for one reason or another. I I did this recently on a presentation where all I could get was a terrible LinkedIn image of someone and I wanted to upscale it. That's the process of adding enough data that you could you could blow it up and it would look good. And there are AI tools that will do that. That's actually generating what is essentially text under the hood. The image is created a, of um in the code is created of of text and generates that. It can do the same for video. It can do the same for audio. Uh, we were just talking about a use earlier where some of the editing tools that we use uh, for our podcast can take your voice and fill in sections of the podcast. Let's say you misspeak, or you want to add something that you forgot to say, or you said, you know, Laura, I called you, uh, Cindy i could actually go in edit the text change it from cindy to laura and ask this tool to fill in the word laura using my voice that it was trained on to create and it will sound natural so there's a lot of different kinds of uses like this as you might imagine given the variety i just described aside from code a lot of the sweet spot for current uses of generative AI is in marketing. Marketing, client communications, this this kind of thing. And it's because it helps you with that blank page problem that we all have. How do I get started? It's great for generating ideas. Uh, give me 10 topics for blog posts. Give me... Uh, five things to tell a client who just became a widow, all kinds of things like this. And it can can suggest things for you, get you off the blank page and get you going. So, and that is just dipping a toe in the water for what generative AI can do.
2: So John, really seems to me, and remember, I know enough to be dangerous, that generative AI is artificial intelligence on steroids. Is that right? And if so, which... I can't imagine how in the future we'll be able to really tell if it's somebody's voice or not, but how can we imagine what that looks like? I know there are stats out there that we've talked we've talked about if you want to put this maybe in some context of the, the growth and the parameters and what that means.
3: Sure. Um, So I think it's an, it's an interesting way to describe generative AI. I, it really is a transformative kind of application of artificial intelligence. And it's because for the first time we're able to, I mean, you know, what's that Arthur C. Clark quote, uh, that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Hmm. And we are still a bit in that magic phase with this. One of the New York times, Writers that did was doing a podcast on this. I think it was in in early March. Actually, got the AI to sound like it was in love with him, and and actually behaved a bit like a stalker. It was it was a bit shocking. Um, and we all <laughs> anthropomorphize technology, but I think it's really important to remember that this is just an algorithm that is doing fantastic things, but underlying it. It's a probability engine that is spitting out what is the next most probable word that you wanted based on my training set and the prompt you gave me. And that is all it's doing, but that is transformative. So I think what you were talking about here is sort of how we got here, right? So why is this, is this different? And we had this tipping point um, in maybe November of last year where we we got up near a trillion parameters in these models that these are all based on. And that's when the capabilities sort of ran away, fr, you know, from, uh, what was previously sort of a, a novelty. You remember Alexa, when the technology would misspeak or misunderstand you and it was, eh, it's not really doing it. And then we got to this point where it could generate really astonishing levels of detail and quality and quantity of of information. And so the question I often get asked is, why is this happening now? Why suddenly? And there are really three basic building blocks that all changed pretty nearly the same point. One is the scale of data. So the data available for these models is at a completely unprecedented scale. And now you can access data that essentially represents the entire internet. So that's that idea of the growth of parameters that we talked about. Parameters are just things inside these models, uh, but the data has to feed it to do that. And so you can access data at the scale of the entire internet. The second piece that, that tipped is the computing power required to consume and analyze that. That's really changed. And that's a result of cloud computing coming along over the last 10 years or so. And then finally, the models, and this is the more technical part, um, these new architectures for deep learning that take advantage of all that data and computing power. Um, and that there are models called transformers and diffusion architectures. We won't get into that. But they had to evolve to deal with what are called long-range dependencies. This idea that if you're going to create inferences and probability calculations across trillions of points of data, you had to actually be able to infer a connection between data point one and data point three trillion. And so the new architectures that that came along that enabled that. And that all sort of happened at at a pretty similar time and hit an inflection point that really most of us learned about in say March of this year. Um, And it took off. Um, And Mm -hmm. that is why it feels like it is AI on steroids because we've never seen anything like it. Now, there's another type of AI, which uh, I alluded to earlier, which is that Cyberdyne system, self-aware thing. And this is nothing like that. Um, That would be referred to as artificial general intelligence. And folks are still working on that. It's not possible just now. Some people say it never will be. Some people say it's around the corner. Who knows? But that isn't what this is. These are also known as large language models because of all the data that they're, and all the language data they're trained on. And it's really a fantastic technical accomplishment that's led to this boom of innovation around this new capability to create from scratch. So super exciting.
2: Yeah, it is. It is exciting. And yet I'm sure for a lot of financial services firms, including regulators, it's a bit scary. In fact, I know in our firm like many others in this space, we are strictly managing and even in a lot of instances forbidding the use of generative AI, at least for now. And so as a regulatory industry, I understand it, but we need to ensure that we're not using these AI capabilities in way that, ways that can hurt our clients or our organizations. I'm curious to get your thoughts around those concerns because I'm sure advisors have them and what you're seeing throughout the advisory industry. And in your opinion, what's additive, offers lower levels of risk, and what are the areas that could have profound negative impacts if used incorrectly?
3: Sure, so the industry should be concerned. And there are a lot of reasons for that. And hopefully I'll offer an analogy that will say both why and how to think about controlling this. But there are a lot of aspects about uh, generative AI that do not currently lend themselves well to what we do in this industry, um, which must be fact-based. It must be correct at all times. And it has to be right for a client. And generative AI is not necessarily good at all of those things. Um, there is a, and it's a technical term called hallucination, uh, that generative AI has hallucinations. And what that really refers to is when that probability engine just makes something up. And it makes something up because it says most probably you would like uh, that fact to have come from wealthmanagement.com. And so I'm going to just make this up and say it came from wealthmanagement.com and give you this fake URL that doesn't work. And it will it will do that. And it will do that for a variety of of things, which is comical and tragic all at the same time. There are new capabilities which reduce that likelihood. um, And as for instance, OpenAI now uh, allows you to connect that to a browsing experience. And so you can get it to, you know, operate from live data on the internet, et cetera. But I think the way that you need to treat generative AI is exactly the way you would treat a mediocre intern right? You hire a (laughs) mediocre intern and you think maybe this intern's lazy. Uh, Maybe they didn't fact check everything, uh, et cetera. And so someone somewhere has to do that. So turning generative AI loose without an editor is insane. It makes no sense. And that's for lazy folks. But There's not a lot of lazy folks in this industry. So I think once people really wrap their head around the lazy intern and figure out that it means it's a starting point, not an ending point, there'll be lots of ways that we can get our arms wrapped around this. You know, a broker dealer is never going to send out content without a Series 24 reviewing it as a, for instance. Well, you would similarly... (laughs) Whether that comes from somebody else who wrote it or generative AI, that's irrelevant. That that all you really need is for somebody to review and verify that this is all good, exactly the way that we do for most other things we do today. So I think it's just getting used to what is the scary future and really understanding it and putting simple, common sense guidelines around it. There are other uses which are a little dicier, right? There are folks who use AI in investing and you... Really got to be careful about that. There are good good applications there. I think idea generation or summarization of choices, and it can do great work there. But making an investment decision, I mean, it's a probability engine, and not a probability engine like a Monte Carlo simulation, but a probability engine that is asking itself, oh, what does Laura and and you know want to hear? You know, well, just and I'll just tell you what you want to hear. And that is not what we do in this industry. So <laughs> as long as we think about this mediocre intern we've got called generative AI and treat it accordingly, I think we can stay safe. The other area of concern is around the way that the models use data and train and remember things. And there too, we have ways of dealing with this. But maybe not strict ways of enforcing it. So you probably wouldn't post on social media your client's social security number. You probably wouldn't <laughs> put your client's uh, account numbers on social media. Well, you probably shouldn't add those to a generative AI model because it it will remember that. It'll use it as training data. Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't, but presume it does. And then sometimes, some somewhere down the road, may spit that out. Um, it, that now that said. It could also randomly just make up your client's social security number and spit that out. So, because there's only so many social security numbers, so so that can happen too. But you want to protect the data and make sure that you're not sharing personally identifiable information or anything proprietary, that sort of thing with it, because it's exactly like publishing it someplace, somewhere that somebody could trip on. And so those are the kinds of Concerns that you have about generative AI and the AI models and how they train and how they treat data. But I really do think that the industry is well equipped to deal with it once the folks who make regulation choices and once senior management wrap their heads around what this really is and how much it can do for you and what the parameters should be. I think it will be incorporated into everyday life.
1: So, John, I absolutely love the lazy intern analogy and (laughs) i'm gonna steal it i don't know how or when but know that you know i'm gonna that's gonna come out of my mouth
3: um it is my gift to you and your
1: listeners (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you so i was talking with an advisor last friday and he had just gotten back from a big conference and he was really excited because he was introduced to some capabilities some companies. That he thought, you know, he could use to take some very manual processes and speed them up, uh, so that they could better serve their their clients. You know, one he he mentioned that he was super excited about was uh, it had the capability to to read estate documents, and then it would quickly generate graphics showing the flow of assets and what's unique, so that his team could understand the areas that they should first focus on and put their efforts to um, to better help that family. And then another one he mentioned, he said, looked at fact patterns on, of uh, financial plans and suggested very quickly, you know, more tax efficiencies uh, that could be looked at. And, and he was just thrilled because if, you know, if right, or even if not, if you take that lazy intern view of it, at least they could get to some salient things to dig into right away. And, you know, so much of what, you know, and I know that a lot of those financial planning tools are, are automated, but I don't think to the extent that they could be in the future. And so, you know, I'm just curious uh, what other applications specific to the wealth management industry that you're seeing out there that, currently employ or could employ this to really, you know, speed things up and help us come at things in a much smarter and efficient way.
3: I think those are great examples. And I think they, they highlight some of the the blessings and the curses uh, of this, right? So, okay, here's an estate plan and we're going to have the generative AI examine it, summarize it, make suggestions, et cetera. And, you know, that was probably a somewhat tweaked general model that, that folks used. And frankly, you could probably accomplish the same thing with ChatGPT4 uh, if you knew what you're doing. But this will have some additional parameters and I think will be maybe a little more contained, right? So a, a model that's, say, local to a software company like that, um, that might offer some additional data protection, you know, in terms of, oh, you're... Uh, estate document information won't ever be used to train this, and it'll pre- prevent uh, personally identifiable information from getting out. So, they can put some guardrails in there that are specific and unique to financial services. And it's likely that those companies are doing that. But to your point, it's still the lazy intern doing the work. Um, so, if you really need to have a bulletproof understanding of every aspect of an estate plan, let's say you're an attorney, you're drafting, you're doing something, et cetera you probably don't get to skip the work of reading every line in that document. If however, you're, you've got you know a generic need to sort of understand the overall flow and the overall way that things are distributed and get some basic interpretation that say doesn't have to hold up in a court of law, but is, is good enough for planning purposes, that's a great use. I think those are super examples of the capability of new generative AI tools, as well as some of their limitations. And I would say that some of the most exciting things that that I'm seeing in generative AI are simply extensions of the capabilities of these base models. So the OpenAI forum and the chat GPT is now allowing something called plugins. And so those plugins can do very much similar things to what you just described. Any PDF, not just the kinds that you talked about, which may need some additional specific training, but essentially any PDF, you can stick it in and it will summarize it. You can have a conversation with the PDF. You can actually interrogate it, ask regular human questions and get regular human answers. Uh, Again, within that uh, lazy intern sort of model, you can ask it to analyze data. If you've got a large series of data, and you want it summarized uh, and you don't want to wrestle with Excel. You can put it into a, a new data analyzer extension to chat GPT and ask it to explore the data and summarize it. And it will just go in and see what the data is, see what the patterns are and come back and tell you what it sees. And then you can start to interrogate it like you would be talking to a human. And it's a, it's a, better way to do that or an easier way to do that than say learning Python, which is the computer language that does data analytics, which is what's underneath that. So those kinds of things are quite exciting. But again, I think that client communication or base document creation on our webinar the other day, we created an investment policy statement. In about two minutes, we gave it the state we were in. We gave it our investment philosophy that we only use DFA funds, and uh, or we only use ETFs, and, and we gave it some parameters. And whoosh, a five-page investment policy statement. Uh, we r- refined it a little bit. Asked asked it to you know highlight areas where uh, we'd want to customize and bam, we had a base template for an investment policy statement. And you'd read that stem to stern but and edit it before you'd ever use it with a client. You'd have it reviewed by an attorney, you know, your compliance people, what have you. But you got there in two minutes instead of two hours or two days. And so those are the kinds of things that I think it can do and be really useful. But again, you have to treat everything like it's the lazy intern, it got you started, and then and, and you go from there. And the other thing you can't really do is come up with the ideas. You know, Laura, you and I talked about the idea for the show. You could ask ChatGPT for, you know, ten podcast topics for financial advisors, and it will come up with a few ideas. But then what? There's no unique perspective there. It's just a summary of other thing. It's read plus a probabilistic algorithm. There's no unique insight there. Um, so that all still has to come from humans.
1: So John, I guess, you know, we're, we're, we're probably beyond our normal time, but, um, and I know we could go on for much longer, but I am curious, the logical question is, is Blue Leaf currently integrating any of this generative AI into uh, its tools at this point?
3: I'd say we're in an experimental phase. We expect to leverage these technologies, but we are focused on the controls at this point. You know, how do we make it safe, secure, protect private information, etc. And we kind of start from that security and safety perspective. We have some really interesting uses of it, but a lot of the way that we would use it would be under the hood. As a reporting platform, if we do anything on the front end um, there's a concept that a number of companies have used called Chat UX. Um, so you can basically chat with a piece of software and and say, instead of generating a report by going to here and doing this dropdown, et cetera, you can just ask it to give you a report for Q4 for this client. Uh, I want these five sections and do X. And then without you having to know anything about the software, it'll just go do it. So we're, we're looking at an application like that. But it's not clear... That that is a great application from the perspective of most advisors. We find a lot of advisors actually enjoy being good at the software that they use with clients and want that level of command and control as opposed to as opposed to sort of outsourcing that. But there are other uses we are looking at in and around data enhancement. So data comes in from say Charles Schwab. Um, what other information can we know about that particular position or what happened to that security today or you know, those kinds of things. So there's a lot of ways that we're looking at it, but we're starting from safety and security first.
2: Wow. Well, John, there's so much we could talk about this topic, but unfortunately, our time is up for today. However, as you know, we try to leave some X um, y ideas for our advisors who are listening. And I guess just in a broad sense, how fast or slow do you think advisors should move in terms of integrating some of these generative AI tools into their practice?
3: Well, I've got a split opinion on this. I think advisors should learn fast. I feel like in order for them to be in a position to assess how safe and useful these things are, they need to get on this soon. And I would say that means experiment yourself. Don't use it with clients. Um, Find ways that you might incorporate it. See what it feels like. What it produces. Get used to it. Mold the clay in your hands. Once you get there, then advisors should determine for themselves based on their practice, how they go about things, where it's appropriate to, to put into practice. What I can tell you is that it's changing the way everyone does things and it's accelerating the way that people execute. So in marketing, the clock is moving faster in marketing. You got to be quicker. You got to create content more quickly. You've got to do a lot of things better and faster. A lot of that is powered by AI now. And if you're not doing that, if you're, you're doing that by hand, you're essentially, you know, you're, you're making a pair of shoes by hand and competing against folks who, who are doing that by machine, right? You're You're going to lose that battle. So figure out, the ways in which it can enhance your business, accelerate things, make things easier, give you more time for your family, for your life, and think about the ways that you'd like to leverage it in your practice. So I, th- I think we're all our own best judge of how to use this, but you want to you want to learn about it
2: quickly. Yeah. Well, John, you've offered such great information, and of course, it was a real delight, for, especially for me, to have you
3: on the podcast today.
1: Oh, me Thank too, you. David. Me too. <laughs>
3: and it was fun being on. I hope this lived up to the expectations about education and, and helping folks. Maybe in the show notes, we've got a webinar on AI that sort of goes a little yeah. further on this and shows some examples, and also... Just using YouTube and Google, you can learn an awful lot. There's a lot of good content on this out there. Probably too much for summarizing just one thing, but um, lots and lots out there.
2: Which for Laura, Google is her happy place as a researcher. So if you're an advisor and would like to know more about Blue Leaf and simplifying advisors' lives through technology, Please visit blueleaf.com. That's B L U E L E A F, or follow the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to The Flexible Advisor. We created this show for advisors to help them grow their business. If you like this podcast, consider subscribing and leaving us a five star rating, and most importantly, sharing our podcast with other advisors. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank your listeners for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor.
0: Thank you for listening to the Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest, and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foreside Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.